What is going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Normal Guy Lazy Eye Podcast. Two days until Christmas. We're so close to the end of 2020. Now listen up, fellas. 2020 sucked. It's almost New Year's, which means it's a new you. And our sponsors are here to help you out. Create that new you. That is our sponsors over at Manscaped. Manscaped is the best in below-the-waist grooming, offering precision-engineered tools for your family jewels, helping 2 million men all over the world get rid of the unwanted stuff below the belt. If you let yourself go here in 2020, look, I'm not going to fault you for it. It, it. it happened to the best of us. But let's look at 2021 as a fresh new start. Manscaped is here to give you a fresh start in 2021 with their Perfect Package 3.0 that has all the right tools for the job, including the Lawnmower 3.0. Guys, I have said this all holiday season long. The Lawnmower 3.0 is the Tesla of electric trimmers. If you're walking in to any of those run of the mill pharmacies, corner stores, and just snagging up an electric razor because it looks cool, looks neat, looks fresh, drop it. Get yourself the right tools for the job. The Lawnmower 3.0 offers skin safe technology, will reduce nicks. For your two best friends, there's a light on the trimmer so you can actually see what you're doing, and it's waterproof. That's right. You could take it into the shower and do whatever you need to do. Manscaped has all the tools that you need, and I'm here to help the listeners out. They're here to hook up Normal Guy Lazy Eye listeners out. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code LAZYEYE at manscaped.com. That's right. You're going to get 20% off. Plus free shipping when you use the code LazyEye at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Use the code LazyEye. New year, new balls. Now let's get to this week's episode. This is the Normal Guy Lazy Eye Podcast, a true eye-opening experience. So here we go. We are rocking and rolling with episode 21. We are two days away from Christmas. I hope you are all having a wonderful, safe, and special holiday season. Uh, I thought this would be a great time to bring on a very cheerful individual. Uh, Mark Schumacher is joining today's podcast. Now, Mark Schumacher, or I better know him as Mr. Schumacher, was my high school senior year psychology and sociology teacher. He is also a stand-up comedian from the Orange County area, so a very interesting dynamic, being both an educator and a stand-up comedian. I thought that was very interesting about him. Um, We talk all about all things um, stand-up comedy in 2020. We recorded this in the summer of 2020, so what Mark does is go to schools and talk to teachers before their school year starts. That's one big aspect of his career. And so there was a huge question mark uh, in the summer of 2020 as to how that was going to go down. If you were going to do it over Zoom, if we were going to pre-record, if if we if he was going to pre-record these and all that. Um, so we talk all about that. We talk about him juggling both teaching and stand-up comedy. And we have a very fun story about his time on Last Comic Standing. So great time, a great interview with the one and only Mark Schumacher. You get to hear how it was as a student, so that's a great time. So please enjoy before you chow down on your Christmas Eve dinner, your Christmas dinner, you open the presents, whatever you're doing for the holidays here, enjoy Mr. Mark Schumacher. 
Well, today I want to welcome on a very special guest, and it's not just because I was in his class in high school, and it's way <laughs> too late to boost my grade now, but I also think he's one of the nicest and the funniest guys I know. Mark Schumacher, he is a speaker, teacher, and comedian. You may have seen him on Last Comic Standing, and he was also my senior year psychology and sociology teacher in high school. He joins us today. Mr. Schumacher, how are you? How are things going? Thanks for coming on. <laughs> you bet, Jared. Yeah, no, great to hear from you, man. It's good to be with you. Um, yeah, for the people that saw me for the 30 seconds on Last Comic Standing, I'm sure they remember me. But yes. um, no, it's been a minute, so it's great to catch up with you, man. Yeah, uh, how are things going? I know I'm uh, just following you on Instagram. You've kind of had quite the eventful quarantine. You just, you just welcomed your second child, and uh, how's that been? How's everything going? Yeah, things have been crazy. Uh, yeah, we, my wife was on bed rest for a couple months leading up to the pregnancy because it wasn't, things were uh, kind of sporadic. And uh, so it was just me and my son all day taking care of my, my wife. And it was a little tense there, you know, and then we delivered in May during quarantine and during COVID and a healthy little girl, Millie. So we're stoked. And uh, I just kind of shut everything down as far as my, as far as my speaking and comedy. Uh, but now I'm kind of coming up above ground and seeing what's going on and trying yeah. to trying to figure this thing out like everyone else but um no we're stoked we have we have two great kids and uh yeah this this COVID thing is throwing a little wrench in things but um you know we're trying to figure it out like the rest of you guys yeah it's interesting to see what the stand-up comedy world is doing as far as quarantine goes I think obviously the live crowd is the biggest everything. thing for everything. Yeah, for yeah yeah for stand-up comedy like I know you've obviously been busy the past few weeks with with the newborn, but like, have you dis, have you thought about dwelling in the in the Zoom Zoom conference stand up realm or what? Like, what is what's the plan? Uh, I've been asked a couple times. I have not done it yet. I know all my friends. I see Zoom shows all the time. Um, I mean, I don't know. I'm not super excited about it. <laughs> um, I do also do a lot of school kickoffs for teachers in August. Right. I travel all over the country doing that. So that's been kind of putting on hold and I'm trying to figure that out we're I'll probably do some zoom speaking with them uh, with some school districts um, and then yeah we're trying to figure it out I'm, I'm some schools are interested in just having a digital copy of me um, speaking which yeah. obviously you know when it's not live it's you're missing right. a lot but um, you know people are trying to roll with it what can you do you know I mean people are just trying to pivot and do the best they can that's all, all we can do with this kind of medium and art form you know Definitely, definitely. Now, before we get to how bad of a student I was in your class, I kind of want—I want to start at the beginning of of your teaching journey and, and where it's kind of gotten you today. Um, you attended UCSB and had a family of teachers. Is that right? I do. Right, my brother and older sister are both teachers. Absolutely. So, growing up, was was it always in the cards to become a teacher, or did you have other goals in mind? What was like? What was the original plan? <laughs> Uh, there was no plan and there's still no plan, Jared. Um, <laughs> you know what? It's funny. I'm the youngest of three and they always wanted to be a teacher and I never did. I kind of, um, kind of wanted to be anything but a teacher. Um, uh, and the thing that kind of clinched it, I kind of fell into it. My brother who's six years older, um, he was teaching in China, uh, in Beijing when I was uh, finishing up my last year at UCSB. And he said, come on out when you're done. And uh, it's kind of funny. This was in 03, too, right when SARS was going on. Now we have another <laughs> pandemic. But that yeah. went away, thankfully, <laughs> thankfully really quick. But right. um, he invited me out. We, we traveled around all uh, summer around China. And then the fall came. And we taught in a little town in, in uh, Sichuan, China. 
And, uh, but what happened is he's this great teacher, this kind of this rock star teacher. I don't know if you were there at us. He might've already left SM. Um, yeah, I started in 2011, that. so. Yeah, I think that's right around when he left. Um, but um, he actually came home uh, right when the school year started. So all of a sudden it was me and, all alone in China. I thought I would just, you know, do whatever he did. You know, I didn't really know what I was doing. But I remember walking into my first class with 70 kids and it was just, it was kind of a nightmare. Uh, it was fun at first, but they just kind of, you know, I have no business teaching 70 kids, especially. I didn't really speak the language that well. They didn't speak the language, so it was kind of a nightmare. Right. But um, yeah. I did really like the interaction with the kids, and I kind of fell into that. I actually started that kind of, you would perform in front of the kids to an extent, anything to kind of get a laugh or a reaction out of the kids. Uh, and I think that kind of spurred some, you know, development into stand-up comedy, too. Um, but I, I liked being with the kids. I liked interacting and having fun and, and teaching them. Um, so I came back and kind of floated around a little. I also taught in Taiwan for a little bit. I did some subbing. And then um, I started, it was kind of my brother that helped me kind of get the job at, at Santa Margarita. Um, I started full time, I think it was 07. Uh, I really jumped into it and really enjoyed. Again, the biggest thing is the, the relationships with the kids and having fun and, and, um, and, and trying to share things that you've been through and trying to teach them and, and, and help them if, if you can. So I found it pretty gratifying. So I taught for about Definitely. 10 years before I full time made that, that leap into comedy. Yeah, and your parents were teachers too, correct? No, they're not. Uh, oh, okay. A lot of my family, uh, my, in fact, my brother and sister both married teachers, but um, no, they were, uh, my dad's a pharmacist, so they were not in education. So, so when you guys were like home for Thanksgiving or like visiting each other at the holidays, was it more grading papers versus um, exchanging gifts? Or Yeah, it's, yeah, you're just complaining about how much you have to right. do and how much grading you have to do. Like, you, yeah. You know, you would bring, you would go away for the weekend and bring a stack of papers just like to pretend that you were going to grade them, you know. Right, but I even, right. when I would, I remember doing shows um, quite a bit. You'd go to shows at night and I'd be backstage or in the green room waiting to go on and I'd, I'd be grading papers, that kind of oh thing. Oh my goodness. So I was try, <laughs> trying to make it work. But the thing is, it provided a lot of material um, yeah. for my comedy and the teaching. So it was a lot of fun and it still Definitely. is. So I want to let you address the stereotypes of a school like UCSB. Um, now the kids, <laughs> the kids in Westwood or the kids up at Berkeley may have had a different um, UC experience as they call it. But um, did you like, did you surf in between classes at Isla Vista? Or? <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, it was crazy. I, uh, I always tell people like, I loved it so much. I would never let my own kids go there. Yeah. <laughs> now, nah, I mean, um, yeah, we lived right on the water for uh, three of my four years. We would surf almost every day. Uh, it was great. Even at 20 years old, I'm now 40. I knew that that was kind of the, <laughs> the highlight of my life. Like, I, knew, I knew it could only go downhill right there. But, you know, waking up, going surfing every day, squeezing in some classes in between. Uh, yeah, yeah, we had it pretty good. And it's one of the most beautiful areas in the world. But, um, yeah, I mean, there's so much outdoor stuff, and it's a uh, it's a great scene. I mean, it's a good school too. There's that too, but um, but yeah, it has the reputation obviously as a party school. But people keep right. telling me that's falling down on the list, and then they yeah. tell me it's because I left. That's yeah, right. They, they okay. like to make that check for me. <laughs> exactly. But um, you know, any school is a party school if you want it to be. Uh, right. But obviously, there's there's more opportunities to party at some school. But I, yeah. I absolutely loved it. 100. Yeah. percent Great, great time. Yeah, so you talked about it a little bit, but you had quite the first job coming out of college. Um, like, 
What what was the biggest style of teach like the biggest difference in the style of teaching over there in China and Taiwan versus what you saw in Southern California and, and in the U.S. Um, yeah, China was uh, well. China and Taiwan were very different too. Where I was in Taiwan, it was it's much more Western. Um, and the classes I I taught, um, the students spoke English. It was kind of an after school. Uh, a lot of the kids took English in these these after um, schools uh, that they would go to. Um, and then, but yeah, China was, um, I was in an area where no one was, like, I was the first foreign teacher at this school, so it was challenging. There was a lot of days where it's, even in the, the town I was in, I was like, some kids, like, I've never even seen, like, a, a foreigner, a white person, some of the remote areas I've been to. So there's right. a lot of staring in that, and it's cool, I mean, it's great, but sometimes it's a little much, too. There's just, it's almost like you're a celebrity or, or a zoo animal, too. <laughs> right. But, um, you know, people were super nice. It was great. Um, and they also, they had the one child policy over there, which is interesting. So every little kid was, was their pride and joy. But um, it was just an exciting time too, because uh, especially in the early 2000s, China's really opening up uh, with capitalism and they are really, you know, they're growing tremendously. So it provided a lot of opportunity for people, especially where I was to kind of come out of the farming. I mean, really poor farming and maybe start a business and that kind of thing. And so you saw a lot of this upward mobility, which was kind of interesting to see, you know, this rapid growth that China, China's had, but um, still not very Western. I mean, they were closed off to a lot of things. So I was kind of jumping into the situation and it was, it was tough. It was, it was a lot of, um, the school just liked to promote, oh, we have this great foreign teacher from America. <laughs> yeah. It turned out to be so troubling. And as far as like, you know, I didn't know what I was doing. I wasn't really equipped for that. And there was no real teachers that could really help me. So I was supposed to last a year and I only lasted a semester before I, I came home. Um, so it was a real eye opener, especially at 23. You know, I used right. to always tell my students to just travel if you can study abroad. It's so eye opening. Um, and then Taiwan, um, Taiwan, I really loved. In fact, my brother-in-law has been there for nine years now, speaks Chinese fluently. Oh, wow. um, like we in Taiwan is funny. We, um, we lived in Kaohsiung, which was about 45 minutes from the ocean. There was great surf there. We'd go camping and surfing every weekend, even in Taiwan. So that was a great lifestyle. And you live Not really, really than well. UCSB. No, <laughs> except that you're making money and, right. um, you know, um, but you lived really well and you, we, it was, you know, you could travel around Asia and super cheap and, uh, Again, I, I really encourage people to do that in their 20s just to, to travel around. Obviously, it's a little challenging now with COVID, but hopefully that right. passes. But um, yeah. Taiwan was, uh, the classes were a little bit smaller, six to eight kids, and there oh, was wow. a lot of foreign teachers there. You know, there's kind of this enclave of foreign teachers from all the English-speaking countries, and you guys would hang out at night or go camping on the weekends. So that was a world of difference because I actually had friends, and it was pretty eye-opening hanging out with all these, you know, these international people. Uh, we've been all over the world. So um, great experience. Great experience. Yeah. And you talked a little bit about just kind of like the language barrier between you and the students. Obviously, you know, teaching teaching English as a second language to these students is, is a difficult time. But like, what was it like interacting with the other faculty members too? I mean, there was little, there was little interaction. I think there was like <laughs> one that spoke English that we would hang out. Um, but, you know, they're, they're also very timid. They don't like to open up a lot. I mean, that's, it's a that's cultural stereotype, but it, it's true in a lot of ways. So there wasn't a lot of friendships that would develop. I did. I lived on campus, too, which was kind of tricky uh, yeah. at this elementary school. So all day long, <laughs> I would hear these bells in my apartment. Or in the morning, they would do morning aerobics. 
and they would play this soundtrack all over the campus, like just counting, like one, two, three, four. Oh gosh. <laughs> um, but in Chinese, I would wake up to that every day. And uh, but there was, uh, you know, the, it's been, you know, it's been a long time now. I'm getting old, 17 years. But there was a lot of kind of, um, you know, just playing ping pong with the kids, a lot of basketball after school kind of stuff, which was fun. Uh, I started playing basketball with the the PE teachers. We'd play a lot. Um, and then with a lot of kind of the high school kids around there, uh, we play a lot of basketball. They loved basketball and uh, huge NBA fans, Kobe yeah. fans. Yeah. And uh, so that's kind of how a lot of it too. I mean, besides the classroom, we develop relationships with sports, inter- you know, internationally basketball, that kind of stuff. You know, even if you maybe didn't speak the language together, you mm-hmm. could really bond through, through just playing basketball together. It's pretty Definitely. cool. Yeah. And do you have like a favorite memory from your time teaching overseas? Uh, just surviving. Every day. <laughs> um, I have to think favorite memory. I mean, it was great to travel around China and seeing what we saw. Right. Um, I went to Tibet in 05 after, after tra- traveling in Taiwan. That was pretty cool. Um, just seeing, I mean, just the real China, you know, not in right. the, in the um you know not in the big city shanghai beijing but seeing rural china we took a, like a, a three-day train ride where you sleep on the train across pretty much the whole country and you're just traveling through all these countrysides and seeing you know these terraces and all these farming areas and it was just eye-opening coming from southern california all my life yeah. uh, just seeing this this part of the world and, and these, these people that you know they're just doing the best they can like everyone else with what they've been given and um that was kind of the highlight. This, you know, that's one of the best memories. It's just train rides, seeing rural China, uh, and seeing the people. It was just pretty eye-opening. Awesome. Yeah, I feel like, I f- especially because you were you were there right before. Like I don't want to say right before, but probably they were building up um, Beijing two thousand eight. <laughs> yes, they totally so, were. Yeah. But yeah, like to be in like not the touristy end, you definitely see a whole different side of a of a whole different world, basically. Absolutely. Yeah, it's funny because that was a, we used to kind of make fun. My, my brother uh, married a, a girl from China and um, he, uh, we, we used to poke fun at her because yeah, everything, even five years before Beijing Olympics was like logos everywhere, Beijing 08. Right. That was the first time they had had the Olympics. I mean, that was such a huge deal for them. Um, but yeah, it was everywhere already, even five years prior. That's crazy. That's awesome. Um, so after your time in Asia, you take a job at Santa Margarita Catholic High School um, mm. down in Orange County, uh, a Catholic high school. You know, um, you, you taught psychology, sociology, government, and economics. Now, I know you said you originally weren't planning on being a teacher, but did you also, uh, when you started becoming a teacher, did you want to, did you, did you like social studies specifically or? Yeah, I did. Absolutely. Um, and I talk, I talk about this actually when I speak to teachers, because then that's to speak to teachers. Um, yeah, that was always, there, there was, a, in particular, my senior year, I took AP Psychology. I graduated from Capo High School in Mission Viejo. Yeah. And uh, there was a Dr. Hoffman that was just a great, great guy, great teacher, who made a real impact on me. Um, he just brought it every day and his enthusiasm just really made it exciting and fun. And then when I ended up teaching psychology at Santa Margarita, uh, my second year, um, I reached out to him and I hadn't talked to him in like whatever it was, seven years or so. Yeah. Uh, but he gave me all his materials. He sat down with me for you know, hours and hours, just helping me map out this course. Wow. Um, so that was something, yeah, uh, that I really enjoyed psychology and 
learning about the mind and how to think and these different, you know, social experiments, sociology was cool too. Um, and then the history part too, I, I look back and I used to talk to my colleagues about this in Santa Margarita. You'd always like, as a teacher, you talk about your favorite teacher and it was almost always in the subject that you taught, you know, someone that inspired you. But yeah, it seems like almost all my favorite teachers are typically social studies, history teachers, psychology, that kind of thing. Um, so yeah, I think it kind of, that's why it happened. Yeah. Now, when you started at SM, like, did you feel like the new kid on the block? I mean, like coming off of a year overseas, you had, you weren't really like in the Southern Orange County teachers, like <laughs> crowd, I guess, for lack of a better term, but did like, obviously now teaching at a, a you know, predominantly English speaking school is, is a much more of a breeze, but like, what was that like those first few years at Santa Margarita? Yeah, it was great. I mean, it's a big transition. It's a lot of work anytime when you first, those first few years, especially. Um, I did have my brother at the school, which helped a lot as far as making yeah. connections and making friends. And I just started hanging out with all of his friends, which was super helpful. But yeah, I mean, I grew up in this area, so it wasn't totally abnormal um, right. to, to teach a Southern California kid. Um, <laughs> and, you know, it's not like I was that far removed. I was maybe 10 years older than them. But um, yeah, but it'd been a minute. And uh, I remember even like the first day introducing myself to some of the students like, just, hey, I'm Mark. <laughs> just even forgetting like Oops. protocol <laughs> at all. Like, and not that I was trying to be that cool teacher that goes by his first name. I just like, just a lapse of whatever. I just wasn't even right. thinking. I was just meeting right. some students. And, <laughs> but um, yeah, it takes a little getting used to, but uh, you get in the swing of things. And then there's, you know, there's certain classes that you always kind of uh, energize with. And um, it's, it's a lot of fun. You know, some days are tiring and, and, and grueling and there's parts that are they're difficult, but just the energy and the excitement, um, mm. just that new class every day, it, yeah. it's pretty gratifying. Yeah. Did you ever feel like you were in your, in your like brother's shadows or following in his footsteps? Or oh, I totally it? was. Cause he, uh, he's a really, really good teacher. <laughs> Still is. I mean, he, he taught AP World. At, that was kind of his big class. And he always had like 100% pass rate with like 80 kids. He was, wow. He's a rock star. He was, he's made to teach. And uh, yeah, people like kids would um, see us walking together on campus. And it would always be like, hey, Mr. Schumacher, Mr. Schumacher. And like, we would both wave. But I never knew any of those kids. They were totally all talking to him. <laughs> so for sure, I was in a shadow because he had a reputation, you know, there was a couple teachers super popular on campus. And he was one of those guys that uh, all the students liked. And, you know, so that was definitely a shadow for sure. Well, I'd like to think that you definitely became one of those popular teachers because quickly your psych and social classes uh, became two of the most popular courses on campus. I know, like every senior wanted to take that class, everyone wanted to, to be a part of that. Um, like, what do you think drew those kids to your class? I can, I can give you my, my uh, two cents about it, but I want to hear what you think you know, really drew those kids to your class. Uh, probably because I'm an easy grader. <laughs> um, I, you know, it's, I think it's more exciting. I mean, if you can learn about uh, psychology or certain pretty cool experiments or you know, do a cool experiment or um, you know, do a brain dissection, whatever, that for me compared to something like, I don't know, whatever I think is boring. Um, yeah, I don't want to name any names for different right. subjects. But <laughs> it's funny, and now that you get older, you use all, like in my comedy, I do a lot of creative writing. So it's a lot of the English, that kind of thing. That, so those are all beneficial. But that was something that I always gravitated towards and I thought it'd be fun. And I think I am more laid back for sure. Uh, I think that helps. And, and that was a good, because I taught mostly seniors, juniors and seniors. Right. So, um, 
you know, just joking around in class. Um, you know, and you're 17, 18, you're almost an adult. You still live at home. So there's that whole aspect that you have to learn. But now we're um, all still living at home. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> right? Tell me about it. I was well into my 20s going back and forth for a lot of years. Yeah. Yeah. But um, why, did you, why did you sign up for the class? You I heard up, well, through the grapevine. Yeah. It was easy. Well, I, I would say, I would say, yeah, I, I'm like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to sit here and lie to you. Like obviously students before me had said, you know, you were an easy grader, but I think the majority of it, and obviously rate my teacher. I mean, come on, who doesn't listen to that thing? Right. Um, but I think <laughs> you know, I wrote I mean, all those comments. That, I know you did. I, you could totally tell it was your language too. Uh, <laughs> but I think just like to your point, like you had juniors and seniors and like you, you, you like, um, you, know, you made sure your students felt like they were adults. They weren't just like kids, like they had to learn this. And you know, right. like to your point, like psychology and sociology could be such an interesting topic. Similarly, it could be such a boring topic if it's taught yeah, yeah. in a way like, this is the textbook, we are gonna read it. You're gonna learn right. how the brain works. You're gonna learn how groups work. So I think just like your inter, like the way your class was so interactive and so much more like group work. And you know, obviously like in a, in a class that you're learning about sociology and how groups work, if there's not group work, then like, what the heck are you learning? Right. So I right, think that right. was what really drew me to your class specifically. And then, and then I heard through the grapevine that you were pretty funny. Um, and had <laughs> comedy. So I was like, why not? Let's do it. But yeah. <laughs> let's, see, let's see how funny this guy is. Right. Yeah, really. Yeah, exactly. But uh, you had a famous class project called the social norms project. Yeah. And, you know, come into groups and document themselves breaking social norms. Uh, why was that project so important to you? Why do you think students really gravitated to that project? Uh, cause it gave them free reign to just do something crazy. I mean, that was the assignment and it's funny and the projects kind of got crazier. It seemed like, uh, I don't, there was always some knuckleheads that wanted to do something outrageous. That was like, so I had to start like, okay, you have to okay the project beforehand. Um, yeah, but it, you know, it, it, it gave you the permission to do something, you know, break that social norm, which is uncomfortable for all of us. You know, right. I, I mean, all day long there's, there's social influences in this. And it let you experience that, which was cool. But yeah, coming up with a funny, clever idea. And it wasn't always these, uh, you know, people would always say, I want to drive through the drive through backwards or something ridiculous. Right. But it was like these little interactions with people in public, typically. Uh, even just like giving them a high five or, uh, I don't know, you can't really hug anymore, but just That's a little I connection. Did you? Yeah. I, I did mean, the high those, five thing. Yeah. Yeah. Those were like, I, from students, those kind of... Um, you know, if you make someone smile or kind of, you know, make them smile for the day or make their day a little bit, that was pretty yeah. cool. But um, yeah, that was a, that was a cool project that I always look to look forward to every year. And I know the students definitely did. Yeah, I um, so that was part of our project. I was with I was with two other students and um, we kind of just broke from our original plan. And we because we were at the Irvine Spectrum, a big outdoor mall in Southern Orange County, <laughs> and we weren't really getting much interactions. So I was like, I have my iPod. I have songs. Why don't I just dance in public? Oh yeah, yeah like silently. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, like, I'm hearing the music. No one else is. I'll leave. I'll. I'll for those who want to watch it. I guess I'll. If if Taylor, the student that put it up on YouTube, still has it up, I'll, I'll put it down there. But did you have like any like really crazy or like maybe like best memories from that project? Do you remember? I always try to think. Those were the cool ones I like. Just something like that simple, and you maybe get a crowd. I didn't like the one. It seemed like every year someone wanted to like swim in that pool at the, at the Irvine the yeah. at the spectrum. Um, and I think the last year too, it was like a police chase somewhere, a security chase with some of the students. Oh, uh, and I would tell them, do not do that. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to think, but those kinds of things, something like what you did, 
um, it blurs together over the years, but um, what kind of reaction did you get? Did you get a lot of uh, yeah, people so gathering the, around kind the, of thing? The best was, yeah, so people would gather and then because we did it all on the same day, like people would follow and see like, where is this kid going next? Like, uh, what is he okay. going to do next? The best though, like the most genuine reaction that we got was, it was, we were right by like Macy's or Nordstrom's, I forget which. Okay. And this woman had followed us around to like each of the, like we did three or four, I don't remember. Right. But um, this guy, like I had my earbuds in, so I couldn't hear anything. Taylor and Katie were watching it. You know, who was it? Taylor who and Katie who? Taylor Comro and Katie McLaughlin okay yeah yeah so they were watching it from the side and filming it so they could hear everybody and this this like kid probably our age at the time so he's probably like 17 18 he just yells what a freak and the mom <laughs> yeah right the mom who was like following us around like our like, groupie i guess she was like hey why'd you call him a freak like just because he's dancing <laughs> just because he's having fun like they are getting in a full-on argument meanwhile i got like kesha's tiktok in my ears just going doing whatever i'm not That's like funny. paying attention at all that was right. probably the best reaction but <laughs> that is funny yeah, I like. Uh, no, it was it was cool. Probably, I remember one. Uh, now that I was just thinking, there were some students that they they sat in like a Domino's pizza and ordered a, a Pizza Hut pizza to be delivered inside the Domino's, which I thought was pretty clever. Yeah, uh, but it was just a lot of fun little projects like that. Yeah, it was definitely. Yeah, it, it was like a, a great way to finish out the year too, especially as a senior year. For right, sure. Right. Right um so let's let's switch gears here a little bit uh, we talked a lot about teaching um so when did you start doing stand-up um i first started in 06 was the first time i uh ever went on stage and uh, yeah 2006 i did an open mic i signed up for an open mic it was something i always wanted to try um i come I, my family's really funny my brother and sister my mom dad dad not so much but um <laughs> and then i always had funny friends that was an important part of our friendship uh, really funny friends um and just love laughing and you know people would tell you oh you're so funny whatever so it's something yeah. i always wanted to try and i finally worked up the courage uh, i was in my mid-20s by then uh 26 and um i remember like checking i checked out this uh it was in huntington beach i checked out this uh, open mic like i went a couple of weeks before to check it out just scope it out sit in the audience and, uh, and I didn't tell anyone, I didn't want to like, you know, some people, there's kind of two right. routes, don't tell anyone or like bring all your friends. Right. And I didn't bring crowd. anyone. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. So they laugh at you. And uh, I was just too anxious to do that. So I didn't tell anyone and I prepared my set um, over a couple of weeks and I had it pretty nailed. I think it was like, you get like six minutes right. and uh, it went well. The first time went, went, went really well. And uh, you kind of just get that bug. Uh, although I remember the second time, my second time, it was like, <laughs> it was like crickets. <laughs> it was pretty brutal. You got to get cocky and, oh, I got this thing figured out. But right. it's such a tough craft. I mean, you're always evolving and learning. Um, yeah. You know, it's been 14 years later and, you know, every time you, you learn something new. Yeah. Did you find it hard to get like that six minutes right on the dot? Because I feel like a lot of people don't realize you have to account for laughter or lack thereof. You have to account for like, obviously, like there's something that's going to pop into your head or something maybe a mid joke that goes along with the joke. Like, did you, how hard was it to like really account for like, I have six minutes and I have to make a count. Yeah, it can vary a lot. Your time. I mean, like if you're crushing, you know, you have like a 20 minute set and you're crushing and all of a sudden something you normally do like a 20 minute set, it's all of a sudden you're like 12 and you know, you get the light. So a lot of times the, the, um, someone running the show, will give you the light, you have one minute left or whatever. Right. So you can kind of gauge it. That always helps. But yeah, there's a lot of, yeah. If you go off and go into the crowd, do crowd work that, you know, takes up a lot of time or even 
the laughing. It's funny. I'm getting ready to record something for schools, uh, and it's going to be recording like a probably a 30 minute keynote in my office. A lot of it's humor. There's going right. to be no one laughing, which uh, you know, right? Yeah, exactly. That so I don't know if I'm going to pause. You know, usually, <laughs> usually you pause for laughter and you just kind of milk it, and you want those laughs to play out, and you don't want to step on the laughs because the minute you start talking again, that's when the laughs stop. So you want right. to let it breathe. But I don't know actually how to handle that when you're just you're trying to make a joke, but you're talking to no one. So um, yeah, the timing, the timing definitely changes for sure. That's going to be really interesting because you bring up a good point. Like even if you were to do like an, a live Zoom, like the because Zoom so de- like Zoom can get so delayed with a bunch of people. So it's like, are they done laughing? Can I go on? Right? Like totally, totally. Yeah. So whatever. I don't know if I'll just give a little smirk, a little smile, and move on. I don't know. <laughs> I got to figure that out. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Pause, Pause video laughter. here. <laughs> For sure. Yeah, exactly. So, um, whatever. We're just trying to figure it out. Yeah. So you were teaching while doing stand-up. Obviously, you said you started in 06. Were you finding it hard to balance schoolwork, grading papers, and then writing material for your routines? We talked about this a little bit before the show. You said you were back in the green room sometimes grading papers. Yeah, it was a lot of hustle. Um, yeah, absolutely. It was time-consuming. And um, I was getting up a lot. I was getting up, you know, some of those years, like 2015, I think I got up over a hundred times, which maybe for a guy that's out every night, it's not a lot, but you know, if you're working full time, that's you're up a couple nights a week and you're getting home late and kind of thing, depending on how far away the gig is. Um, Even, you know, I would travel too. I would travel not a lot during the school year. Every once in a while I would travel and, you know, call out sick from the airport kind of thing. (laughs) Schumacher's gone again. I'm trying to find (laughs) what comedy club he's at. Um, I didn't do that that often though during the school year, but, um, yeah, there's a lot of hustle. Um, but it's fun. You know, it's always good to stay busy too. You know, right. you're burning the candle at both ends, but it's a good thing. Yeah. Did you ever run into old students? I know your current students maybe weren't getting into the comedy clubs, hopefully, cause they weren't 21, but, uh, did you ever run into, to like older students or maybe like parents of students during your routine? Yeah, absolutely. I always had a lot of former students that would come to shows. Yeah. A lot of parents. Yeah. Um, that would come. I always, cause I always tend to work cleaner too. So for whatever reason, my audience tended to be like 30 and up. Um, and you know, I was joking about working and now there's a lot of marriage and kids stuff. So it's like, you know, sure. a 22 year old doesn't, Oh, that's great. <laughs> Someone else. <laughs> I'm never going to do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's funny. I, yeah, there would always be, I remember one, I, it was one of my first few years, maybe it was, um, I'd say 09 or 10, 2010. And there was these seniors and I, cause I had, I always had a website. I would list my shows so they could come yeah. if it was 18 and over or whatever. They were right. 18, they were seniors. But I remember this, this senior telling me like for weeks, like we're coming to this show, we're coming. And I was like, okay, oh boy. You know, whatever. <laughs> but I was like, eh, I didn't think they would, you know? And right. it was like these four uh, seniors, they showed up and it was at this, uh, this restaurant in Huntington beach. I think it was Huntington beach. And, um, it was like, a, I think it was a comedy contest and uh, they were cool. They were, I, I really liked the kids. They were cool. But right. I just remember it being like the dirtiest show. And once a comic found out, cause they were like four 18 year olds, they stuck out in the audience. Yeah, sure, so right. Young. And once, you know, pretty soon a comic's laying into these kids and finding out, oh, they're Schumacher's students. And, uh, but it was funny. They would kind of hold their own too. They were little cocky kids too. And they would, they would kind of snap back at the comedians, but it was cool, man. Yeah. Um, I think I'm Facebook friends with a couple of them and, and they're doing well. <laughs> it was a funny experience, but I just remember that show in particular. 
I mean, I usually work pretty clean, but all of the, it was like the dirtiest show ever. It was just like, guys, what happens right here at the comedy club stays at the comedy Yeah, let's, club. let's not bring it up in fourth period, okay? And it was like, it was probably April, May, you know, yeah, they so probably graduated like six weeks, but um, yeah. yeah, it was pretty funny. So for anyone that's starting comedy or starting stand-up, I mean, obviously right now with what's going on, <laughs> it could be hard to start, but what kind of advice do you have for them and, you know, in the comedy world and getting started and really just, like you said, like getting up there and just doing it? That's the basis. I don't know. Get, the, get that courage. Yeah. Um, I mean, watch comedy and then find uh, the, the open mics is kind of how everyone starts and they're kind of brutal try to find a good one if you can where people are yeah. actually paying attention and maybe there's a little audience usually it's just open micers who are they're just looking at their own notes they're not even paying attention so it can right. be kind of rough um some tips like so trying to find a, a better open mic if you can or even like a i remember you know who gave me this advice as a famous comedian now i took a class with him back in 09 hannibal burris who's pretty very famous yeah i took a sketch writing class before he broke now he's obviously massive um he had done fallon i think and but he wasn't as big as nearly as he was now a cool guy but he's like you know what find a music open mic because there it's not poisoned by all the comics and it's not brutal everyone listening to people doing their crummy jokes Um, but people are there actually listening and there's usually a good crowd and that was actually good advice because there are some kind of music open mics around um so trying to find you know a better open mic so you don't you know it can be kind of brutal um helps a lot but just you know write anything that it's funny that strikes you as funny that comes to mind for maybe a couple weeks and try to flush out this few minutes five minutes whatever um is what i would do i mean if it's funny to you usually it relates and it's funny to an audience but the biggest thing is is you're kind of living your day-to-day just something strikes you as funny right you gotta write it down because then it's gone so whatever right. voice memo on your phone or text yourself, whatever is what I've been doing for years, still outdated, but I'll text myself. <laughs> and then, um, and then when it comes time to do the show, you kind of write that and flush it out. And, you know, some comics write it all out word for word. Some guys just go with an idea and kind of improvise. Um, especially if it's your first time, I would try to hone it really well and right. maybe even memorize it so that you're, com- you're way more comfortable. Um, and then you can, it's easier for, in my opinion, to ad lib. If you know it really well, you're more comfortable. Um, and just have fun with it, you know? I mean, just go up there. Hey, I'm trying to have some fun with people. I, I, people put too much pressure on themselves. I did too. I didn't tell anyone. But uh, right. just try to have fun with it. And then I would go and watch one too, watch one or two. I remember the biggest thing for me, it wasn't even the material that I was afraid of or the audience having taught and done different things. It was like, how do I take them, use a microphone? You know, most people, don't <laughs> right. you know, like, it was like how yeah. to take, how to take the mic out of the mic stand and then like put it behind me, which is what, you know, so it's like out of the cool way. Do. Yeah. Like that, yeah. But that's what I was like, I was studying that. Like, you know, you learn the aspects of the show. You get, you know, lighted in the back of the room or all the little things going on or you're on deck or how to open is, al- is always difficult even years and years in. Yeah. Because it's this weird thing. All of a sudden you're talking to this group of people. This is abnormal thing. How do you, you know, if you can comment on something in the room, that always helps to kind of uh, bring sure. everything together. But um, yeah, just try to write down constantly and, and give it a go, man. Just try to have yeah. fun with it. Yeah. Now I want to ask you, because I don't think, I mean, you don't really dabble in this realm particularly, but you, th- you look at some of the stand-up comedians nowadays with everything that's going on, both politically and just whatever's going on in society. 
there's this fine line that comedians are are dancing with and they you know it's it can be it can be difficult as a comedian to to find that fine line and make sure you're not crossing it how have you seen comedy as like especially starting out in the early 2000s and and to now like how have you really seen comedy flirt with that that fine line yeah you're seeing more like uh you know comedians on college campuses getting in trouble that kind of thing right um it's kind of this it's tough you know it's this last area where you know you're given a lot of freedom of speech and so some people really grab hold of that like this is our last you know whatever it's this beautiful art form where this is like freedom of speech i can say whatever i want but right so obviously like the culture has changed so it's not really the case that you can say everything you want exactly and um and depending on the show i mean especially if it's a private event or someone hires you or something i mean you have to adhere to them. I, I think there is, it has kind of go, gone overboard with, I don't know, some of these, these famous people that are brought and canceled. It's like, well, yeah, you disagree with them as long as they're not, you know, doing anything, whatever, totally inappropriate right. or demeaning. Like, it's freedom right. of speech. Let them speak. Like, don't shut them down because they're a liberal or a conservative. Like, uh, that exactly. seems crazy to me. But yeah, I think people are more sensitive in general. But uh, some comics do kind of kind of get like, oh, it's just freedom of speech. But at the same time, if you're making a living, you got to, you know, because I, I host a show out here. I did till March um, right. in this area and I would get great comics. They've all been on TV from L.A. or whatever. And I would tell them, um, don't uh, stay away from like, Paul, like stay away from Trump because it just for I mean, this audience is a little older. It's more conservative. It's down in Orange County. And it's like, yeah, it, just, exactly. it splits the audience. So, I mean. It's not like it, the audience is for like, whatever, these, these big philosophical debates. It was just right. to have fun for these conservative folks. And uh, exactly. I mean, it, it's, it's mixed, but I would, you know, it divides the, 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 um, the first com the first show that I did, there was a comic doing a Trump impression and it did like, it got uncomfortable. I mean, he's this great comic, but it, you know, so kind of have to read be the careful. room. Yeah. yeah. Read the room and, and yeah, see what people want. Definitely. So your comedy has really taken you kind of all over the globe. I mean, from, like you said, New York, LA, Chicago, even like DC and Hawaii, and then even internationally in, in London and Paris. Do you have a favorite spot yet where you want to play? Is, is it like hometowns usually like the favorite spot or? Um, I, you know what? Um, it's funny. Like people always ask me, um, cause especially when I do school speaking, it's, it's a lot um, all over the country. I do more of that traveling than right. stand up comedy these days. And, but a lot of my school speaking, it's like 60% my stand-up comedy. And then you kind of build this message around it. So right. it's a lot of my stand-up comedy anyways. But people always ask me how different it is around. Um, and I don't find a lot of um, uh, jokes that work here or don't work here. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, you just want a full room, a packed-in room. And that's usually pretty good, to be honest. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think. And you mentioned internationally. The one I, I always put, I performed in Paris, but it was on an, um, an MUN trip. I took MUN kids uh, and I hooked okay. up a show. Uh, I took MBA, I chaperoned a trip to Paris and um, that was funny. So this was years ago and the kids actually, they came to the show. And so that was a little more risky because it was like a school sponsored event. Right. But again, it was seniors and they're graduated in six weeks. And it was like, but I remember at the end of the week, it was, I had a good show. It was fun. It was a really right. good time. It was, I mean, it's not like the kids are drinking or anything They're but they're at this, you know, more of a bar setting, but they're, sure. you know, they're 17. They're a little uncomfortable out of place, but um, they were really cool. And like, 
<laughs> so many of them, like I said, that was the highlight of this trip where we traveled all over Paris, seen all these cool things, had this international conference um, at one of their UN buildings. It was, it was awesome. Mm -hmm. um, but it was a cool experience for kids to see it was kind of this nightclub and this, this art form. And, um, but that was a cool experience. I'd forgotten about that, bringing the students, actually. Yeah. So in 2015, uh, you were selected to be on NBC's Last Comic Standing. Um, I remember it like it was yesterday just because everything was going on. But uh, what was that whole process like? How did it get started? Um, how it got started is um, I just submitted. I submitted tape just like everyone else. I didn't have a fancy agent putting me on there. Um, <laughs> and they liked it. They liked that a lot of my material that I submitted was teaching. Right. So especially with a TV show like AGT or Last Comic Standing, if there's some kind of cool little niche storyline, you know, they're going to love it. You know, I see, I've seen a lot of friends do well on AGT in the last few years. And it's like, um, you know, Sam Comro had Tourette's or um, trying to think he had another kid had the stutter and they're yeah. great comics, but right. it's like that storyline that makes it even better in the crowd, the audience and the whole nation can kind of fall in love with them. Mm -hmm. Um but uh, so they liked the teaching aspect for sure. And then they, uh, they had me try out. And at first I flew up to Seattle. It's funny, I, um, this producer that I was corresponding with, they had tryouts all over the country and they had one in LA. And I'm like, I'm local, can I go to LA? And she, right. <laughs> I think she really hooked me up. She was like, you can, I had to pay for it myself to travel to Seattle. She's like, I think you'll do better in Seattle than rather oh. going up against all these LA heavyweights. LA, yeah. So I think she like really, <laughs> I think in my opinion, she wanted me on the show. Okay. Um, so I flew up to Seattle and we did, I mean, there was like 80 comics going on. It was a great crowd. You get like four minutes and I did right. well. And so I got invited to um, Trout in Hollywood um, the next round. And again, like by that time, like all these comics, I'd known almost all, a lot of them and worked with them. They're all sure. really good, strong. They're headliners, they're strong features. I mean, they're really good comics. Um, so a lot of it's, you have three, four minutes. It's just hit the ground running um and i had another good set at hollywood um and that was for the actual producers there was like 10 of them in the room um and i remember i taught i taught that day i think i left at lunch yeah and i i had some line just in the beginning that i think helped it would just it loosen it something about like leaving my class i'm sure they're fine like i left them alone or something like that <laughs> um but it got them laughing and then i had a really good set with hollywood and then so they were excited to have me on the show and um yeah, I don't know if you asked, but the, and then obviously they sent a camera crew to, to film a background package, which it didn't end up airing, but you were a big part of that. Do you remember yeah. some of that? Oh, I do remember some of that. And I think it's definitely been um, a cornerstone in your, in your routines nowadays. Um, I think I, I like, obviously you're this, you're a high school teacher in Southern California and, and NBC's at your door, but I think the kids were even more like, Oh my God, I'm going to be on TV, yeah, uh, sure. you know, or potentially be on TV. I like, like, I think you say it in your routine, like these kids look like they were going to prom in the middle of lunch, yeah, <laughs> the way they came to class guys, that day. Well, cause I, cause I, uh, you were, there was two periods that they actually filmed and I think right. you, it was like second, third period. And I think you guys were mm -hmm. one of them. Um, but I remember, yeah, I think, you, did you have the quiet class? I think you were like second no. period. Oh, okay. No, my Because one of the classes quiet. was kind of quiet and they like shut down on me. In front of, you know, you're trying to interact and have fun with the, the students and they were just like shell-shocked at the cameras and stuff. Right, they're like, do I look at the camera? Do I not look at the camera? Totally, totally. Um, but I think I remember, yeah, I don't know what period you were in, but. Um, I forget. So you, 
that was um you know what's a bummer too so they were the, they were really excited about this um package too because like you know i mean they, they had this this background package about actual teacher which was pretty cool for the show the other ones they chose is like oh it's this comic and we're going to costco with them see what he does at costco so it was like this cool unique thing right and then when i didn't move on they didn't even show the background package oh. which was a bummer but uh i became friends with some of the other producers and like the one working on the background package she showed me some um screenshots of it i never actually saw the background package sure i mean she interviewed a lot of students the principal yeah. and stuff and i wish i got a hold of that tape because that would be pretty cool to have but um she showed me a screenshot and i swear i think um uh, i think you were in it it had I just been it. teaching in front of the class so <laughs> it's a bummer that that we weren't you know i didn't get a little airtime for all the students and stuff but um yeah norm mcdonald basically didn't like my stuff so he shut me down he was one of the judges yeah, I think um, <laughs> I think we were. I think you made us wear our mask uniforms too, specifically for your class. But no, <laughs> probably right. <laughs> yeah. Um. It's, so, like, what was more nerve wracking? That having NBC come in and film your class or a principal evaluation? <laughs> yeah, because I talk about that. Yeah. Yeah, you do a lot. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think all these questions that I'm like. You did watch some of my videos. Oh, I do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you were doing that in the last hour. Um, <laughs> Yeah, the, well, the principal would always scare me because you can edit, you can edit um, right. camera stuff. That can always be bleeped out or changed or you can look, they can make you look good or bad actually. And even, I think they, they didn't show very much of my standard performance, but they showed some of it and you know, you can do so much in editing. But um, it was always scary, especially those first few years, uh, teaching in front of the principal. Yeah, that's your boss and uh, you know, you wanna look good and you never know what a student's, what's gonna happen when it's students yeah. so you never it's not like you can prepare as much as you want you never know so yeah exactly um did you did you ever feel like your comedy was distracting of your teaching or like as funny as you are and as students may have loved it like i'm sure like did, did you ever feel like okay are, are my students actually retaining anything that i'm teaching or are they just laughing along at all my jokes <laughs> well i was most <laughs> concerned that they were laughing i mentioned no right um <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know. Uh, people ask me that a lot. And that was never something that really, um, that I was worried about. It's not like, um, it's not like we were laughing bell to bell. You know what I mean? Right, like, right. It's not like right. I'm headlining a show I'll every day. Right. Like, that's not even possible. Like, I'm not a big, I don't know. Uh, I couldn't do that. But I, there was definitely a lot of laughter. And I feel like I could, I could, you know, we'll laugh for a few minutes, joke around, and then we'll get back to stuff. And then we can relax or whatever. If there's right. time, but... I never felt like I thought there was like a good interaction, good respect. And I never felt like I'm always asked that, like, you know, how did you control your class? If they're always laughing or whatever, but I never felt like that was a big problem to be honest. Like, you know, people might disagree, but I never mm -hmm. thought that was a big issue. I thought if anything, it really helped the class and yeah, the, I, the kids retain and listen and pay yeah, attention. I agree hundred percent. I think, I think the biggest, the best thing, like, and this is like so small, like obviously you were hilarious and like, it made the more it made the like learning experience more enjoyable but i think even more than that like you started every class with asking like what's going on with everybody and like well, i, I don't want to start the class <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah, please be quiet like i'll actually just and i'm talking. a nerd i don't know what cool stuff is so it's like teach me what i'm supposed to know like but i think even like 
yeah, like you would even be like, Jared, how was the swim meet? Or like, I'm like, you didn't, you didn't have to be the biggest swim fan. Like, I was like, you don't have to know everything about swimming, but just the fact that right. you asked me. Especially like, no distance one... swimming. Like, who <laughs> Yeah, you remember. That's crazy. Uh, but like, especially like we, we went to a high school where the football team was so prominent. Like, obviously everyone knows what happened on Friday night. We were like, oh, well, how's that swimming on Wednesday that no one went and saw? I was like, oh, it's good. Thanks for asking. Right. Yeah. I, yeah. It was, that always bummed me out a little bit, just that none of the other sports got any respect and like these kids were working so i mean how many hours in the pool were you guys every day and i'm yeah. a big sports guy and I, I talk about this when i speak to teachers but just trying to find one thing to connect with every kid yeah ask them and for whatever reason it's so funny like i'm so bad with names and i'm just bad with names period so yeah. like on any given day like you could like i would just i just have trouble recalling it like every time i go to like a family affair with my wife like we have to rehearse names uh, I'm not talking about her immediate family. Sure. But for whatever sure. reason, just this other stuff sticks for me. Like, I know you're into swimming or whatever. I'll, how's you, whatever. You're a twin, that kind of thing. And um, so, I don't know. I always found it. And, and I like to see how people are doing. You check in with them. But, um, yeah, these little, try to find little nuggets about each kid that you can kind of ask about just to check in with them. Not even that, but the swimming, just to see how it's going, see how they're doing, you know. Mm -hmm. And that's now, what actually I'm talking about. Sorry to cut you off, but like. No, yeah. No, I'm thinking about presenting to teachers now with, with online and it's like, you know, you're not getting that connection that you were before. So it's right. so hard. So it's even more important to try it. I mean, people are struggling. People are hurting, you know, people are, I know the teachers I talk to are, uh, they're just frustrated and the yeah. kids, the online learning, especially like seven year olds teaching online. It's just, it's a crazy, you know, so yeah. um, trying to, you know, make that connection even more trying to connect with every kid is, is important. So, yeah. So I'm going to ask a big, a, kind of a big question here and you can feel free to talk as much about it as you want or as little as much you want, but pre Corona, obviously there's a huge question mark on, on how education is in the future looking forward and how it's going to look. But during your time as a high school teacher, what was the one thing that you saw needed to be the biggest change and how would you have liked to have fixed it? Oh, wow. That's heavy. You know, you should really <laughs> send me these beforehand. Jared. I don't know why you just, all of a sudden, I'm just going to spur this on them. Um, so can we cut the, t I'm just kidding. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know what? I, uh, I, um, I think most importantly, I don't know. There's too much structure and I feel like um, schools need to do a better job with the real life skills. And we try to do that in my classes, even getting up and speaking in front of the class, those kinds of things. Or in econ a lot, um, teaching them money skills or investing or whatever, uh, personal finance. Um, I think those things, I think school needs to do a much better job than just following the textbook and the curriculum. Just yeah. thinking outside the box because there's so many, even addressing like these, these things that we all go through, like, you know, we're all scared of different things, our fear or like, yeah, getting up in front of the class speaking just doing a better job with those real life skills that we're going to need. I mean, you're a bright kid, but you, you know, you, you move out and go to the other side of the country, right. uh, away from your parents. It's eye opening, right? I think school can do a little bit better job preparing you for those kinds of things for life. Um, so that's what I would like to see addressing those real life skills uh, more than just this textbook that we have to learn. I like that. And I appreciate you uh, opening up about that. I know that's kind of a heavy question, especially as a, as a teacher and, and as an educator. Um, but you've been traveling to schools all over, spreading this message of 
really like you wrote your college thesis on the humor on humor in the classroom like how important is it to have humor in the classroom i'm not going to make you reset your entire college thesis but uh, <laughs> um you know that was something that i mean it, uh it was important for me mm -hmm. uh, and like i said in connecting with the kids connecting with you um so that played a huge role um and it doesn't even have to be, I was talking to someone about this recently. It doesn't have, we say humor and, oh, people say, oh, I'm not funny. Like, I'm, right. not, what, I'm not a stand-up comedian. But, like, you could just interchange that with fun. Having fun in the classroom. And we can all do that, you know. It's not like, um, I mean, I, I sometimes, you know, as a comedian, you like the center of attention. You like leading the fun. But, like, you have 30 kids who bring the fun, too. Like, just creating that atmosphere where there's this give and take where we're all having fun together um let them bring in these funny stories or whatever but kind of creating this atmosphere where, where people feel comfortable but right. just making it fun i mean that comes from a review game whatever like i, I was talking to someone recently i keep saying that but uh candy is bringing candy in i was having a starburst <laughs> and i remember buying starburst so many starbursts for my students to play review games and like yeah it always made me laugh at like how into starburst or candy even when you're 17 and 18, like that's like, you have this whatever, $800 cell phones, but oh, you'll give me a <laughs> yellow, whatever, pink star. Exactly, exactly. But um, I would say just making it fun. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Do you ever see yourself returning to the classroom? <laughs> well, definitely with COVID, with no comedy. Right. <laughs> my wife's like, uh, watching that savings account go down. Uh, I don't know, it, it's possible. Um, even cause I miss it and, um, we'll see anything's possible to get back in the classroom. Maybe, maybe more like a community college part-time thing or mm -hmm. who knows, and maybe yeah. online, but that's not quite as gratifying. Um, yeah. uh, but I, I'm really enjoying what I'm doing now with the comedy and, and the speaking across the country has been a lot of fun. Um, so we'll see, you know, but yeah. I wouldn't count it out for sure. You never know. Awesome. Well, uh, Mr. Schumacher, this has been an absolute blast. It's awesome to get to reconnect with you and, and learn a little bit more about you. I know I got to be kind of on the forefront of that in your class, but it's awesome to kind of reconnect and learn a little bit more. I do have one more question for you. I asked uh, it for all my guests. Um, it's not as heavy as the, as the other one, <laughs> but um, what would be the title of your autobiography and why? Oh, wow. Again, you got to submit these ahead of time, Jerry. Um, <laughs> um just something about trying to lighten the room i mean that's that's i mean i think in some sense uh i have that demeanor where i want everyone to have a good time you know anywhere i'll any room i'm in i'll look around and look at the person not having fun and try to leave, you know make them laugh or whatever so um you know he tried to lighten the mood lighten the like make people laugh that kind of thing um I think that's a big part of who I am as a person and, and just trying to put a smile on people's faces. Awesome. I love that. Well, again, this has been an absolute blast and absolute honor to get to reconnect with you. And I wish you all the best of luck with the new baby and, and this Thanks, new man. world that we're living in. And uh, I hope we can talk soon. No. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me, Jared. It's great just to see you again and see you doing so well. And I always enjoyed students like you in class, just your enthusiasm. I mean, a huge part <laughs> of life is, you, you love enthusiastic people, man. And that was you. And uh, so something like what you did dancing in public, like <laughs> I, that, that was your personality. Like who cares, man, let's just have fun. A similar exactly. kind of thing of what I'm talking about. So I appreciate that. And uh, awesome to reconnect, man. Glad you're doing this. Awesome. Well, we'll talk soon. All right. All right. Thanks, Jared.
So huge thank you to my fellow teacher and just all around great human being, Mark Schumacher, for coming on this week's episode of the podcast. I'll be sure to link all things Mark uh, in the description of this week's podcast. Be sure to go check him out on Instagram. Um, If there are any teachers listening to this podcast, I encourage you to check him out. Bring him to your next Zoom. Bring him to your next school event. Uh, If you're planning something for your teachers, please, please look into him. He's such an incredible person, and I can't speak enough great things about him. Thank you guys so much from the bottom of my heart for listening to this podcast. I, I, like, I, I can't express it enough. I had no imagination as to how this podcast would be when we're coming up here, uh, wrapping up 2020. So thank you guys so much. It means so much to me. So please continue to spread the word of the podcast, share it with your friends, share it with your coworker. And if you could leave a review on Apple podcasts, even a written review, that would be incredible. I I appreciate all the support. Thank you guys so much. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at normal guy, lazy eye, uh, for some bonus content from clips from the interviews and everything in between. I will see you guys next week with a very, very special guest. A first time thing is happening on Normal Guy Lazy Eye. So be on the lookout for that. We're going to finish 2020 with a bang, but I'll leave it at that. I'll see you guys all next week.